0: It's Dr. Stew's podcast. This is Dr. Stew's podcast number 98. Oh, my God, 98. Uh, I'm Dr. Stu. I'm with my uh, friend, Kimberly Durden, and colleague, and she of the great laugh. Uh,
1: um, yeah.
0: Uh, thanks for listening and catching us on iTunes or at You can email us at askdrstu at gmail.com. I think we're going one to get one of our emails today from one of our uh, listeners. Like us on Facebook, uh my website is birthinginstincts.com. You could follow us on Twitter at Dr. Fishbein, or you can follow Kimberly at...
1: KimberlyDurden.com. You can never remember that.
0: I always remember that.
1: You're so silly. That's okay. called
0: humor. That's called my sixth sense of humor. <laughs> uh, so anyway, welcome welcome to podcast number 98. I can't believe at 98, we're only two away from a number that means absolutely nothing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> one zero zero. Well, it's like
0: twenty four hours, or or right. or, or age thirty five. I mean, That's what is that? Right. What is Why is a hundred more important than a hundred and one or ninety
1: nine? You got that
0: right. Right, I know it is. It is. My dad's <laughs> going to be ninety six uh, in a couple of weeks, and awesome. uh, you know what? I whether he makes it a hundred or not, ninety six is a big deal. I agree. So we're having a party, and we're we're going back home and going to spend some time with my dad.
1: That's awesome. Uh, You're very lucky to have your dad.
0: I, I am. I am. I wish you know I, I'm far away, so. And, uh, I can't get there as often as I'd like, but uh, you know you know why we've talked about that on the on the podcast before. when I leave there's you know yeah you're never off basically
1: you're never off call well either are you I know, but I, I really would like to be off call sometimes and, yes. and I think I'm actually trying to figure out how to do that for, but.
0: for listeners who are just tuning in, um, Kimberly is um, an extraordinarily uh, eclectic and jack of all trades type person. <laughs> You are. No. I you, wish I you, could build a house. You though. are. I mean, look at you you've raised what? 17 six. children? Six. No, 6. 17, 17,
1: half a dozen, six just children, half a dozen,
0: six. just like feels like seventeen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look who's talking! Yeah, I'm the and, one doing and, it.
0: And you know, ages from like I
1: feel like I'm paying forty-five
0: for to, to three months. Is that your, <laughs> <laughs> no? Uh, hey,
1: listen, it's 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 World Breastfeeding Month. Let's just say so. I'm going to give a plug for for my breastfeeding years. I've breastfed for over twenty something years now, almost consecutively. And here's something shocking, Stu. My daughter, who's going to, my youngest daughter, my last child, who's going to be five on next Friday. Happy birthday. I know she
0: was at my birthday party.
1: She was at your birthday party. She was. Doing bad things. But anyway, she is still nursing. She's still nursing. So you're like that
0: woman on the cover of Time Magazine then?
1: No, actually her kid was (laughs) only like three. Mine is almost five. So I, am even more radical than that woman.
0: Now, why do you? Why, let's talk about this for just a second, okay? I know you're a lactation consultant. I know right. that you're a, uh, are you a doula too? Yeah,
1: I, I doula. Yeah, I doula, now. and
0: also now you're a student uh, midwife finishing student, up. Yes, correct. right. Mhm. Soon to be out on her own. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that's a good thing, I guess. I guess I know. I, I have, oh, I have a, God, oh I God, have oh a midwife
1: God. saying. I had a midwife saying to me, "Savor it." Okay, savor being a student. So, go ahead. Despite
0: being a uh, a lactation fanatic, <laughs> um, so why? Why? Why, I, why is uh your my daughter still, still breastfeeding? Your daughter still breastfeeding. Because
1: she wants to. I mean, because it's important to her, and you know, weaning is a process, and I've just allowed her and I to just take our time with weaning and weaning is not necessarily something cut and dry
0: So does this happen at night does it happen like As a matter in fact, the middle of the day does she, she call you up and say mom I want come yeah. on home I need on I need her a cell booth.
1: phone cuz she has a cell <laughs> phone she, 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 she texts me while she's she breastfeeding. texts me from downstairs and says <laughs> I need milk and it, no what 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 happens with <laughs> weaning if with the, it's a gradual process i mean weaning in some you know one of the definitions yes gradual weaning. but there's such
0: a thing as as, as glacial speed and there's <laughs>
1: <laughs> well talk to my daughter about that i well i, I talked to her about that i'm like don't you think you want to be done by the time you start kindergarten in a couple of weeks and she's like yeah whatever
0: oh yeah, that's basically right. so what here's, she a, said. here's a here's a dr Stew provocative question do you think you'd still be breastfeeding if your daughter was a son
1: yeah sure why not what difference does it make i don't know I mean, yeah, that's a great question, it's, but it doesn't Yeah, well, doesn't
0: you know, sense. it's, you know, and I'm a little bit tra- traditional I'm in some s- ways, and I, I think that uh, the boys that are still nursing at age five be sort it's of... It's kind of
1: weird. You think that's weird? Uh, yeah, I just think
0: it's kind of weird. I do.
1: Okay, well... You know, I'll probably
0: get a lot of mail about that. Th- this, let, you know, let everybody give you mail. Mail, let, let mail. Let people give you mail. <laughs> You're
1: entitled to your opinion, however, or your feeling, but, you know when you breastfeed a kid for a couple years you get back to me let me know how you feel about it okay (laughs) (laughs) next
0: slide. yeah okay but
1: but i will tell you that my son i have two sons and my one who's 12 breastfed till four and a half and my one and i kind of encouraged him to get off at four and a half and then my one who is 22 breastfed till he was three and it's funny because i I have we have a good friend i'm not going to mention her name but Uh, she is also soon to be a midwife. I don't know, but she'll know when she listens, she'll know what I, but one time we were sitting in a a staff meeting together and she was saying, Oh my God, I am having so many problems with my adult child. And I know it's because I had a hospital birth and I, I didn't breastfeed. And that's why she's giving me all this drama at, you know, 20 years of age or whatever. And I was like, wait a second. Uh, I breastfed my son till he was 3 and I had a home birth and he's now 19 and he's giving me a lot of stuff too so I don't really think it has yeah, anything well, to do my, with it. My whole
0: generation was bottle fed. Maybe that explains why the world <laughs> is in such a mess. What do you think?
1: I think there's a lot of different factors, but for our family, I think breastfeeding has been fantastic. My kids are all really healthy. They're they're great, but it doesn't solve every problem. It doesn't like cure the teenage. <laughs> it doesn't cure the teenage damn, years. Damn. I know. I thought
0: we found the solution.
1: I did too. All right, you well, know? listen.
0: You know, a couple podcasts ago, we talked a little bit about some of the problems with um, midwifery in Alabama and, and it's the laws that were going on there yeah. that restricting midwives and stuff. And, yes. And so, uh, but this week, it's slightly different, but there's more news out of Alabama. And uh, actually, it's, again, these podcasts are a little bit delayed. So this might be, this news might be a week or two old already, right. but I'm going to let you take it from there.
1: Well, yeah, I I, I think it was so... interesting that we were talking about Atlanta, I mean, I'm sorry, not Atlanta, Alabama, and Alabama was suddenly on our radar screens, um, mostly due to um, these amazingly you know, non-evidence-based birth practices going on in the entire state. And there is a uh, group called Safe Birth in Bama or Safer Birth in Bama, I think, is the website. So definitely check it out where they're kind of, you know, um, being kind of a watchdog over what's happening in Alabama and for birthing families. And what was so interesting is linking it up to the fact that Alabama was a state up until 1976 where midwives delivered Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of babies in Alabama in rural areas, poor women, indigent, indigent women, uh, you know, women with all types of issues and challenges, twins, breaches, et cetera, all delivered uh, by many, many uh Midwives, and in 1976, those midwives were outlawed, um, and the uh, only midwives that were allowed to practice in Alabama were certified nurse midwives. And Do
0: you, why? Why? To interrupt for a second? Why were they outlawed? Was it just uh, well, uh, big, It was a big business taking over. Or yes, what, yeah, basically, yeah.
1: it was the Medicaid, Medi-Cal, whatever they call it in that state system coming in um, and, you know, kind of, what do you call that? Like creating a system of birth based on institutionalized birth, basically. Well,
0: basically making the means of payment the one that dictates how the care is then given. Exactly, exactly. Right.
1: And uh, so... All that said, we talked about that in our podcast and it's uh, a couple of podcasts back. So definitely check it out. But it's so interesting that shortly after our podcast, this news came out of Alabama on August 5th, um, according to the Birth Monopoly blog that's written by Kristen Pascucci, who I really admire. I love her work. Um, On August 5th, uh, there was an intense two week trial that uh, culminated in an Alabama. A jury in Alabama unanimously uh, returning a verdict in favor of Carolyn and J.T. Malatesta, a couple uh, that had a really horrific birth experience in an Alabama hospital. They were uh, they are to be awarded. Uh, 16 million dollars. And if you'd like to read about this uh, case, definitely go to the Birth Monopoly blog and you can read all about it. Uh, the Malatestas uh, have a very uh, interesting uh narrative here about their birth experience it was their fourth baby Um, and it is fascinating she's had
0: three vaginal she's had three vaginal
1: births before this this story is fascinating it's maddening it's disturbing it's got me extremely thoughtful today when I went and read it again in preparation for the podcast and it really it kind of almost makes me speechless Um, when Carolyn Talks about the services that she received in the hospital. The thing um, that was the most striking was that she switched. From a different hospital because the the hospital the, the hospital that she eventually gave birth in was had this huge marketing campaign all over uh, Alabama stating that they were all about uh, women's choices that that she was going to be able to have a water birth that she would be able to to um, refuse interventions and things like that and so she she switched to this new uh, to this hospital and she switched to a different doctor who was part of that hospital system and came up with a birth plan had it approved and looked at by her doctor and fully thought that she was making a very informed choice about, uh, where she was going to give birth and she desired to have a birth with as little intervention as possible. And she was expecting that it had been discussed. They had, you know, really hashed it out. And by the way, the hospital's marketing touted that they were all about, uh, giving women these kind of choices.
0: Yeah. It's just, um, I read the article too. And, and, uh, you know, it sound it sounded like what 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 you and I have been advocating for. I mean, you know, right when 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 doc, when when organizations that don't like home birthing, they, at least they all they always say we need to make the hospital more home like. And I've always laughed at that because it's not possible to take a mammal out of its normal uh, environment and make a, a a second habitat feel it's as safe. But it kind of makes me feel that they don't understand true mammalian birth. However ideally having a situation where they allow women to walk around they allow women to eat they allow women to get in the get in the tub and do the things that were were promoted by this particular hospital sound like an ideal intermediate setting.
1: And I think that's why this 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 situation is so disturbing to me because often we're saying to to folks who are birthing, you know, do your homework, you know, research, you know, find find a doctor. Right. And she did. Yeah, she did. Find a doctor who's going to really support your wishes, who understands natural birth, who all of that stuff, you know, look at the facility, you know, make sure that it's going to be able to provide for you what you want. And this woman did that. She did her homework. She did her due diligence. And her doctor assured her that she could have whatever she wanted. She, You know, if everything was normal and fine, she could just have natural, normal labor, however she, she felt. Um, however, um, what actually happened was something completely different. Unfortunately, uh, when she went into labor, uh, her what she found out was that her doctor was not on call. On that particular night, and that everything that she had talked about with her doctor, including using a birth tub, uh, being uh, being ambulatory or being able to walk around in labor, uh, she was being told by the nurses that she encountered that she couldn't do that. Basically, sorry, no, you can't do that. Your doctor's not here. You can't do that.
0: So, in other words, if you know, maybe you don't know the answer to this either. But so, this hospital was advertising these things but but not all the doctors were on board or not
1: only was the hospital advertising these things and not all the doctors were on board then uh what she was found out uh was that the nurses actually didn't even know anything about the marketing campaign so the nurses that worked in the hospital that were delivering the care and by the way unlike midwifery birth outside of the hospital your doc a doctor in the hospital Usually comes when you're about to push the baby out. Am I right? Or am I wrong, Stu? No, you're
0: you're right. And okay. They, so and who, sometimes the nurses wait and have the baby delivered before the doctor gets there because the doctor doesn't know what they're doing. But, it's
1: true. But yes,
0: the doc, doctor doesn't want to get there too early. Doctors get sort of aggravated when they're called too early.
1: Exactly. Right. And so, so we know that nurses do majority of the care... For, for laboring moms. And what's so astounding is that the nurses that were doing the majority of the care for laboring moms actually had no idea. They knew nothing about this marketing campaign.
0: Do we know how long this marketing campaign had been going on? I think,
1: I'm not sure in the article. I think it says something like three years. And, it's, and actually, <laughs> actually the campaign is still going on. The mom, even after her birth, um, was just traumatized by you know, driving around in her city and seeing these advertisements oh, the for the hospital, these billboards. Oh, yeah. that I, I
0: have post-traumatic stress from, from billboards that I see, where I know they're blatantly false, and I, you know, or I hear their ads on the radio saying how wonderful we are, right. and you know that uh, all the things that they the consumer doesn't know.
1: So that's that was the case with this woman. I mean, you know, as a consumer many consumers, first of all, many folks going into the hospital to give birth, don't even see themselves as a consumer. They just kind of, sometimes folks go into the hospital and say, well, the doctor's going to take care of it for me. And they don't necessarily do their homework. But it is, it is important. It is incumbent upon us as consumers to do our homework in in terms of finding, you know, what's the best choice for us in in terms of where we want to birth our baby. This woman did that. She did all of that. Anyway, cut to the birth story. Unfortunately, um, she, she, you know, I should say that not unfortunately she was birthing precipitously, but she was birthing. Her body was doing what it does. Fourth baby. Fourth baby. She was, her baby was coming close to being born. And the problem was that her doctor or a doctor wasn't quite available at that moment. So the nurses forcefully held her down in the bed on her back. Uh she describes it as the most unbearable.
0: Well, she wanted to, she was she wanted to be on all fours. She wanted right? to
1: move around and she complied right. to getting on in the bed on her back because they told her that that's, that she had no other choice. They they basically said you have to do this. Like you cannot be in another position. Sorry, I don't know anything about your birth plan. So, in in those moments she was getting into the to the second stage. She was beginning to push her baby out her baby was coming Um, her nurse held her down force forcefully um, and I don't know if it's one or two it sounds like it needed to be more than one nurse but nurse uh, actually she says nurses held her down and pressed her baby's head back into her vagina to deliver to, to delay her delivery because her baby was trying to be born her baby was held inside her vagina prevented from being born by the nurses forcing the baby back in for six minutes. Um, obviously, she describes it as just traumatic, excruciating. She was struggling against the nurses physically holding her down. I don't even
0: know how that's, I don't even, I, I can't even imagine I how that's even. physically possible. For, I, for, I, can't. I mean, if she's.
1: The, the, but what happened was finally, when the doctor arrived, she says the nurse let go of the baby's head and he was born immediately into the doctor's hands. She says she vividly remembers the moment his head popped out. Um, her right foot was planted firmly on the bed, elevating her hips as she tried to get off her back one last time, and a nurse was pushing her left leg awkwardly and asymmetrically towards her chest, causing her horrible pain. Um, to make a long story <laughs> short, I, I, this is,
0: she, she underwent terrible physical abuse, and she suffered both just, emotional and physical trauma. Yes. Uh, from this, when you know, you know, you and I both know that a fourth baby is basically a, It's going to come. You know, and her it's baby gonna be was like, not giant.
1: Her it's gonna baby be like a, uh, Right, wow. her baby was six pounds right. fourteen ounces. This is not a giant baby. This baby was in a great position to be born, so he was ready to come. And when babies, you know, when when you you have that sort of setup, it's not uncommon for the baby to, like we like to say, come flying out.
0: You know, I, I have to I have to say, and I'm not I would never defend anything that happened here, but it All is right. sort of it is it is an interesting dynamic when when you are you're a labor nurse and you you've seen birth you know birth you know how it goes you've probably been doing it for 10 15 20 years or even 2 years or whatever and you're afraid to deliver a baby because you might get yelled at exactly by the physician because you didn't call them in time right so rather than do what's best for the 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 client the woman that's that's laboring you you do what's be, you do what it seems expedient or or prudent for your job or your you know, or whatever, and you're so kowtowed that you're not willing to to tell the doctor. I'm sorry, the baby just came really fast. Right. And I'm sorry, you know, beat me, hit me with a stick. Uh, right. I caught the baby.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you into in the nurse's defense, exactly. I mean, I I hear exactly what you're saying. I don't think these nurses are horrible people. I think they are under a system that is forcing them to behave in a certain way that is not in the best interest of the patient, the 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 children, the children being born, or themselves. Or anybody, for that matter, and for what reason? I mean, all I can think of is like not only might they get yelled at if they caught the baby, but would the doctor get paid for that delivery?
0: Yes, the doctor still gets paid for that delivery,
1: even if he didn't catch the baby or put his hands on the baby.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, go again. uh, I I would say with with pretty much certainty, the insurance pays for the delivery the delivering physician now there may be a policy in that hospital that says if you're a laborist and you don't you don't make the delivery you might get a little deduction or whatever i don't know but usually a lot of the and a lot of doctors are working as laborists are getting paid by the shift and not by the birth okay so that would be a a, a non it would be a non sequitur uh, reasoning for okay. any reason to do any of that sort of stuff and and if that were the case and that was a reason I can, you know, if that was part, I don't, we don't know the, the details and the more, this is going to come out and the transcripts of the trial are going to come out and I'm right. certainly going to read them and we'll comment on them in a future podcast. But if that were part of it, I mean, $16 million isn't even enough.
1: Wow. <laughs> and it's not about the money
0: either. I mean.
1: No, it isn't because this, the one thing that I wanted to say about this woman, I, I, she is, has a, now a permanent and debilitating nerve condition called buten, neuralgia. And she is in constant pain. And then this blog post, if you take the time to look at it, there are some pictures of this, this woman and, and that, her, some, that her children took of her um, in pain, dealing with the pain on a daily basis, um, not being able to really care for her four children because she is constantly in pain. Uh, and this is a permanent injury. I mean, she even mentions that she is not able to have sexual intercourse at all.
0: Um, oh, and the jury agreed
1: with that. Too. and They agree with that. She has psychological issues. She has PTSD, um, panic attacks. Hypervent- she's hyperventilating. She she's, feels like she needs to escape her body because of this pain. She and her family had to move in with her parents because she is actually not able to care for her children um, being in this constant pain all the time. So I wanted to talk about this, and I think it's just... One of the things that I think I wanted to bring up today in, the, in this podcast is that um, birth monopoly, um, as well as improving birth uh, organization are really working hard to bring uh, more cases to trial, um, more cases like this. It's actually quite unusual for folks to be suing hospitals and doctors over birth injuries uh, in terms of. You know, the mother's experience and, uh, yeah, from that aspect, because especially when
0: the outcome for the baby is good, it's almost always when there's a, you know, a a damaged baby type thing. Right.
1: Right. Um, usually it's looked at as like, you know, the mom, you know, birth is tough. And so moms get over it. If she's injured, you know, hey we have a healthy baby and that's the most important thing and we you know and i don't align with that thinking but oh, that's no. what is said right and i know that you said you had some thoughts about this too Stu. what did, What do you think about this case
0: well i have really really mixed feelings about it uh, i'm thrilled that this family got 16 million dollars i think that they deserve every penny of it uh i don't think there's any question that they were uh, wronged and that they're basically scarred for life i don't think 16 million dollars fixes much no the problem I have, of course, is that I, first of all, I think it's sad that it even that it, that we have such a system that would ever come to such a to this sort of thing. But I also, uh, being the um, uh, non, I'm, I'm being the skeptical person I am regarding uh, how people learn lessons in life. I, I don't see this as changing the culture of the hospitals uh, that do this sort of thing. I actually think that it will harden the hearts of many of them. And rather than uh, be more open about their policies of of natural childbirth and all that stuff, they'll pull back mm-hmm. and they'll stop offering these sorts of things. They'll look at it as potential liability. Like why, mm-hmm. like why when ACOG came out with their little water birth paper right years ago, that hospitals that had waters that had uh, uh, tubs took them out right. All right. Now you know there's one. There was one case somewhere of some baby they got sick from water that had been sitting at a tub for three days or something like mm-hmm. that, and that affected water birth everywhere. This is how administrative people and risk managers respond to things. So I would like to know, I would like to hear, you know, we never will, from the hospital, I'm sure that there's a gag order on these people, as to mm. what they were thinking uh, of not informing the labor and delivery staff of their marketing policy, of who decided that this was a good idea. Of who got fired I'd love to know that too and also you know what what what's going to change what's going to happen are you going to make the policy that you've advertised better or are you going to take it away and I think that what's going to happen and the lesson to be learned from all these sorts of things is that hospitals are risk-averse and they will try to take away these options now I hope I'm wrong and I hope that Kristen. And Don and all the people involved with improvingbirth.org or human rights and childbirth, like our good friend Hermine, Hermine um, you know, they're going to keep at this. And uh, we haven't heard the last of stories like this. Obviously, there's going to be way too, there's going to be more, but I just don't know that. That the response is going to be what you and i would like to be seeing i mean i would like to see a public flogging as <laughs> well, as well <laughs> i would <laughs> i would like to see a public flogging and i would like to see
1: bring back public flogging i would
0: i'd like to see hospitals be run by consumers right uh as opposed to businessmen i know that that's not going to happen and uh you know i i think that when you when there's money when you get money involved whether it's politics or business it just the the corruption is just un, uh, uh unbelievable and i and i'm and i'm concerned about that and this, and f- this family i mean this baby should have just fallen out yeah. i mean, all, I mean it was if this so if this simplistic. woman would have had the option of a home birth in alabama exactly none of this would have happened exactly. in the first place exactly so we could we could go full circle here and take it back to the fact that they have a stupid law put in by by you More know, like
1: bureaucrats. It's not this law. Well, not and, the put- Cal- and the Alabama
0: Medical Association right. and all these things that lobby for doctors being the only answer to pregnant women uh, who must have, uh, you know, they have a medical condition that requires doctor treatment. And therefore, these, these crazy midwives can't possibly deliver people at home. And so we're going to make people having their fourth baby you know, give birth on the in the car or on the roadside as they're trying to drive to the hospital in time. Right. Or come in for an unnecessary induction because right. because their doctor doesn't want them to, to give birth at home. Right. By accident.
1: By accident, right. right. So so let us just come come in early and we can induce you. I mean, I think that, you know, what's interesting too though is although the doctors in Alabama have the monopoly on birth, that they also do not practice evidence based medicine at all. They according to safe safer birth in Bama there are no evidence-based facilities in all of Alabama so how does that how does that get allowed
0: <laughs> I uh, yeah I'm speechless <laughs> which never happens <laughs> I, you know I I, I look at it, it's it's the world we live in it's, basically
1: you got to move to another if you live in Alabama you don't want to have your baby in Alabama unless I mean what are your no, choices
0: I, I don't know you go to Tennessee um, right right I, I really don't know what your choices are but I don't understand Why, what the, I mean, aren't there, look at, if, if men are adults, aren't there (laughs) women in the Alabama legislature? I mean.
1: I don't know. We should take a look. No, I mean, I'm
0: I'm joking. You know, I'm joking because, you know, there, there are plenty of women physicians who are, who are, who are, you know, as cruel, if not worse than their male counterparts. So it isn't about gender or sex or any of that stuff, but it is, it's about compassion. It's about being human and it's about reeducating people to understand that. That normal birth is not an illness. And, and the idea that this woman couldn't have given birth in any frickin' position she wanted to give it, give birth in and, and the midwives just leave the baby alone. I mean, the ultimate thing is the baby falls out on the bed, the baby falls out on the bed. The mother knows exactly what to do. What will the mother do? She'll reach down and pick it up.
1: She'll reach down and pick up her baby, you know. And, and by the way, it, it kind of goes into this letter. I know you got this letter from this particular... Who was yeah. this letter from? This Aaron, woman was talking her, one about... One of our listeners, Erin. Yeah, because it, it, kind of, it kind of echoes this letter to me because you talked about with uh, this, this woman, Carolyn, if she had just been observed and kind of left alone and maybe just supported, her baby would have just come out what normally. What a good segue.
0: What a good right? segue. We'll, we'll have more on the Alabama story as things uh, uh, pound themselves out. But th- we got a letter from um, from an emergency room worker named Aaron, and I just wanted to read parts of her letter because... It's very, very um, uh, informative. Uh, She, being an emergency worker, has seen people come through the emergency room, and she says she doesn't like to see them deliver in the emergency room. She feels, the hospital feels it's safer to go to labor and delivery, which (laughs) we just learned (laughs) from the previous story that that may not be the case, by the way. So, um, but she says uh, she finds it interesting that in such a medicalized place where colleagues have literally told me, quote, just get the epidural right away, unquote, And I would never let a midwife touch me, unquote, that they have a rather good perspective on an imminent delivery by calling it catching rather than delivering. Hmm. So that's pretty cool in their emergency department.
1: So you're saying that, and she's saying that in her emergency department, even though they say, get the epidural, if you were to have a baby, just get the epidural, and or midwives- I would never want them to touch me. They also understand from being in the emergency department and being in those situations where women have come to the emergency department in, in heavy labor that the baby kind of comes out. Right. And so the emergency staff, they use they the term it catch the baby because right, they are not intervening. Yeah,
0: we we should change it to labor and catching <laughs> as opposed to labor and delivery. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? I love that. Yeah, I mean, or we can have the labor and the catching part and the labor and delivery part, which is like the cesarean part. But the vaginal delivery part should be be the labor and catching part. Anyway, she goes on to say, I think that it would be awful to birth on a baby on a gurney in the emergency room where someone always forgets to close the curtain so everyone in the department can see what's going on. But I think that letting a woman who is having an imminent birth labor independently is a good thing. We almost always have great outcomes when this happens.
1: Say that again? What did she say? She said, okay.
0: Laboring, so. letting them uh, labor uh, without uh, laboring them independently is a good thing. Mm-hmm. We almost always have great outcomes when this happens. Interesting. I feel it's a great anecdote about why laboring mothers should be left alone if everything is proceeding normally. Okay. And this, again, from an emergency room worker. And then uh, she goes on to say um, that she's had three unmedicated births in a hospital, but. Um, she thinks that, that she's chosen to do so because she's an informed uh, emergency department worker and that you know she's basically never had an IV, never labored in a bed, had never had anesthesia, never had m- continuous monitoring. Uh, she's only had one cervical check, and that was because it was a backup OB. And she mm. thinks part of why she was able to do that was because as she, uh, from her work in the emergency department, where people refuse treatment all the time that may say even save their life, we give them information, and if they decline their consent for surgery or a uh, lumbar puncture or whatever, we document that. I see no reason why hospitals and OBs can't do the exact same thing when the consequences are so less severe in most cases, such as vitamin K or continuous monitoring. Why don't they just say, "quote Given the risks and benefits," unquote, and a disclaimer, then and, and a disclaimer, and then just move on. Hmm. anyway I felt lucky that I was experienced enough in medicine to be able to tell people to jump in the lake if they wanted to do something <laughs> I didn't want and regret that not everyone has that knowledge uh, though for the record I never actually had to do any of that during my hospital stays meaning that she didn't have
1: to kind of like she'd have to fight. fight she didn't have to fight and keep people off of her
0: right so this is from Aaron and I thank you Aaron for your call and and I mean for your for your email
1: I think it's great insights from yeah, Aaron.
0: and Aaron and I—we responded back and forth. But I wanted to read that because I thought it was so insightful mm-hmm. that again, you can be a medical personnel. You could be like in the previous podcast. You could be two RNs and decide to have home and twin birth, mm-hmm. or you can you can be an ER nurse and you can decide that for my liking, my choice is to do it this way. And that's that's American. That's <laughs> the freedom. That's the country that I used to recognize. Wow, that I'm becoming. Less and less comfortable with it's the mm-hmm. country of, of now regulating the size of my soda and what bags and light bulbs I use and and uh, you know um, I mean I was driving I had a friend in from out of town recently and we were driving around L.A. and I was driving on Sunset Boulevard and I, I mean I have a little Mini Cooper and I nearly bottomed out like six times because the roads are so bad <laughs> and isn't and isn't Sunset Boulevard especially driving through Bel Air and Beverly Hills isn't that supposed to be like the the yeah, showcase, the, of, the <laughs> showcase of uh, of of class yeah. and stuff in in, in Los Angeles, yeah. and you know it's an embarrassment. And you drive around L.A. and then you cross into Orange County, and the roads are beautiful and the roads are nice. But for some reason, they're able to take care of things. Whereas you know, in, the bigger the things are, that seems the messier they are. Mm. And people people deserve to have choices, and they deserve. That independence, and, and again, it ultimately bears down to the fact that you accept the responsibility of your choices. Yes. When you start having a situation where I want to do this, but if it goes wrong, it's your fault, I'm going to sue you, that's a different, that's a different, whole different scenario. Exactly. Um, and I think that having a loser pays system, we've talked about this in the future, former podcasts, having an arbitration agreement. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, it's not the best thing when a new client walks into your office to hand them... You know, informed consent papers and arbitration agreements right. doesn't really build confidence. Right? You know, it's like going into a restaurant, and before you order your food, they have <laughs> they give you you are signing a waiver that says if you get sick, you're not going to sue them. It's like, you know, maybe we'll go someplace else. That's
1: a great analogy.
0: Well, you know, I mean, it, it's you think it's that far fetched?
1: No, it's a great analogy. But no, but
0: you think it's actually that far fetched? You think it isn't going to come someday?
1: You know, you have a good point. Maybe, <laughs> but you're but basically going to arbitration agreement talking about informed consent you're saying that there's a place for that in medicine as opposed to it and as opposed to people just using suing as well a even of action. or even using, or,
0: or, or no i'm saying it more for the industry to be using the fear of being sued right. as a reason to to just, skew everybody right. down a, fun, a funnel funnel right. them down a path because you because you use the false god of the of liability right. and i mean that's what's that's what's happening locally here and in other places where choices are being banned and they're they're saying they're dooming in the name of safety and safety again is, again I do feel like this uh, the the politician on the stump speech because safety is a canard uh, which you know it's it's a false it's a false thing it's it, safety is how do you define safety you what is safety? safe right you know my friend Milo at uh, at a we had a V-back meeting up there and he said that, how do you define safe I mean is driving safe hmm is flying in an airplane safe? Right. All right. I mean, people—we know people are going to die. Walking down. The it's street getting a vaccine safe. safe. We know right. that a one in a million people are going to react and die. Right. All right. So who decides what safety? We as individuals should. Right. And that's where the difference lies. And and you know, again, that's the theme of our podcast. It's. I'm glad that uh, that you you know you've come on board, and we we basically see eye to eye on on a lot, a lot of things.
1: Stuff. We just don't. As long as we don't talk politics, we're good.
0: Politics, uh, religion, bre- re- breastfeeding till age five. <laughs> I'm not yeah. t- breastfeeding boys till age five, maybe I don't know. I mean, all that stuff, sort of thing. But anyway, so uh,
1: I'm going to send you some info on that.
0: Oh please, I, I like, yeah, I, I'll, I'll do it, read it in my spare time. Anyway, we're going to put up some links uh, on the website to this. This has been uh, absolutely uh, a fun discussion, again and a serious one actually. Uh, this has been podcast number ninety eight. Uh, On Dr. Sue's podcast Again, please, please, please uh, Take a look at us on iTunes And like us there
1: Send us some feedback Let us know what you like Um, Send us some ideas For things you'd like us to talk about
0: Yeah, I want to thank Aaron And uh, there are a few other people That sent emails We'll get to some of them There's Valeria And uh, uh, Rachel, I think it was And a couple other ones That we read today Before the show Um, I'm responding to all of them So please uh, Do send us your feedback look us up uh, and and share us with your friends uh, link us and do all that stuff because uh, because this is important it's important we make nothing by doing this yeah we (laughs) We don't get paid (laughs) and uh, only John only John makes a pretty penny (laughs) and uh, but we love John and we love John's dog Bella and we'll see you all next time for podcast number 99